merry day after Christmas. Unless, of course, you're from Canada, and then I'd say happy Boxing Day, <laughs> which really sounds like the violent aftermath of a holiday gone wrong. <laughs> I lived in Toronto uh, for four years, and, and to kind of, for those of you who gotten to know me a little bit, and maybe some of you don't know, imagine some of you don't know my, kind of my long story, uh, came to San Francisco in 1991, uh, you know, had been really preparing for a number of years to be involved in full-time ministry, and uh, came out here really excited, grew to really love this city. Um, I remember times when I would Later on, fast forward in my story, but when I would get off the Muni at the top of Dolores Park near where I lived, and I'd look out over the city on a, on a just a beautiful night with just such great love for this city, um, I just grew so attached, and this has has really uh, been my home. And we moved uh, we moved about five years ago up to Toronto. That's the Canadian connection. My wife's also Canadian. My mother's Canadian. So lots of Canada running around. And, uh, and uh, you know, the four years in, the four years in Toronto, I, I, I never got used to Boxing Day. Like, what is that? The big event is Christmas Day, and yet Boxing Day is the, is the, the biggest sales day, uh, the biggest shopping day of the year. And I'm like, what went wrong on Christmas Day that the day after becomes the biggest shopping day of the year? And uh, you almost feel like when you give somebody a present on Christmas Day, you want to tell them this is worth twice as much as it's going to be tomorrow. <laughs> so I should get twice the credit for it. But it's, uh, it's been a privilege, it, it really has, uh, to walk this whole year uh, with you. And I, I get to meet a lot of you. I'm usually the one in the back, you know part of the, the great team of, of ushers that we have, greeting you as you come in, and it, it really is a joy. You know, the scripture, I really resonate with the scripture that I, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than, than to be anywhere else. What a, what a joy it is. And so at the end of this year, I've really spent really a number of weeks, I mean, sometimes as I'm, I'm coming to work in the morning, I'm just, I'm just mulling over what's happened this year. And... and, and to position that a little bit, you know, I had <clears throat> been in full-time ministry and then, you know, all of a sudden had a, a life change where um, I had left a position that I, I was serving, started uh, finishing off a degree that I was working on and, and just one thing led to another and we had our first child and I ended up doing uh, some private sector work, doing retail management and it just, what I thought was going to be temporary became sort of this longer thing and the, the waiting in terms of, okay, what's next, God, became kind of wondering. And, and so just a little over a year ago when, uh, when this opportunity kind of came up really out of the blue, um, and Pastor Terry called, we had some dialogues and meetings, and I found myself saying yes uh, to this amazing job and getting, uh, getting to, to move back here to San Francisco. And so uh, now a year later, I've gotten to live in the yes. You know, I said yes to, to this new job, this new adventure, to moving our family. And I've had the opportunity this last year to sort of live in what that yes means. And uh, it's been an amazing time. It really has. 
building new relationships, appreciating the camaraderie that I, I feel with, with so many of you, the laughters, uh, the tears, the really significant dialogue that we have as we look at what it means for us to faithfully fulfill our calling as a church here in San Francisco. I think we're doing something really great together, and I'm excited about 2011. I want to give you a, a little bit of background to the story that we're going to look at, which, as Pastor Terry mentioned, it's, uh, it's located in, in Matthew chapter 2. It's the story of the wise men. Um, you might also hear the, the name magi, which is really the root word uh, that we get wise men from. But I want to set a, 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 larger, a larger context for this story that really takes place uh, sometime after the birth of Jesus. You see, prior to Christmas, all of Israel waited for the coming of the Messiah, uh, the Savior. There really was about 400 years between the time that the Older Testament was complete and the Newer Testament begun. And it's often been referred to as this great period of silence. It would be hard to overstate um, the longing, the expectation, perhaps even the waning hope that the people of Israel felt toward the Savior. No doubt some of them, you know, they're, they're wondered if anything would, would really change, if anything new was really possible. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes humbly, vulnerably, unnoticed by many. But nothing would be the same. Nothing would be the same. So many were brought into the story. Um, you have the unsuspecting shepherds out in the field doing what they normally do and suddenly angels appearing. You had a peasant girl whose life was going in a particular direction and became dramatically changed. We know her to be Mary, but her ordinary life became quite extraordinary as a result of uh, this birth of Jesus. And as we scan over our nativity scenes, and no, I'm not looking for the little drummer boy, there we find the wise men, the magi. And these were Gentiles who were from, from the east in Media, Persia, what we would know today as modern-day Iran. Now, forgive me for, for just a moment. I need to make a few corrections to our Magi FAQ. And I'm really sorry to do this. They weren't at the birth of Jesus. They never visited the manger. They weren't kings, and we're really not sure how many of them there were. I know, it's terrible. I've been lied to. I've been bamboozled. Rewrite the songs. Redecorate the nativity. But our story this morning that we're going to look at uh, chronicles a journey undertaken by these group of astronomers with a mystical bent. Our story is, is here in Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we'll begin reading here. It says that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, 
he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let me say a few things here. Bethlehem is about a five-mile journey from Jerusalem. King Herod enters the scene. He is the appointed king who is anything but loved by the Jewish people. In spite of all he accomplished, all that he built, he really symbolized the oppression of Rome. He was a man who ruled and was ruled by fear. He held tenaciously on to his position. He would feel threatened by the least provocation. And sadly enough, he had the power to act on those feelings, even with devastating results. Now, we're uncertain as to how long after the birth of Christ that the wise men came. But in verse 11, if we were to fast forward a little bit, we'll learn that Jesus is a young child. Many scholars have suggested that it was at least a year, if not up to two years after the birth of Jesus. There's well-documented uh, interest among ancient astronomers in the connection between astral phenomenon and political events. It was widely thought in ancient times that the emergence of a star heralded the birth of human beings who were destined for greatness. The star of Bethlehem spoke the language of these magi, these wise men. This was the mother load of stargazing. What is significant is that these Gentile men, who were really outsiders of the faith, set about on a journey, uncertain of the exact destination, with the desire to honor this newly born Jewish king. Now, this journey was a long one. I was uh, on Google Maps trying to figure this out, maybe about 1,000 miles, which nowadays wouldn't be a big deal, but given the mode of transportation available at the time, that was a long journey, an arduous one. But I imagine the, these group of wise men traveling together, sharing what was a, a long journey with many experiences that they had, shoulder to shoulder, times of silence, times of talking around a fire, looking up into the skies, experiencing the expanse of, of desert. What was forged over this journey was a, a unity of purpose, uh, a certain single-mindedness, this sense that we have depending on things that we get involved with, things that we do together as groups of people, a, a shared sense of what we've gone through, a sense of what we have accomplished together. I think that's one of the, the wonderful things that I experience here is, is the, the sense of community, the things that we do together, the ways that we enrich one, one another's lives. I'm struck that this group of men invested so much time, expended so much resource without a certainty of exactly where they were going. They knew what they were journeying toward, but they didn't know exactly where they were going. It's an amazing thing. Now, I've read some historians who have tried to describe what the arrival of the Magi might have looked like. Now, for me, I've typically pictured, you know, the traditional three kings. They're dressed really nicely. They drop some big gifts at Jesus' feet. They take some photographs, and they move on. But what some have suggested 
is that these magi, what we call the wise men, were magistrates in their own land. They had civil as well as religious responsibilities. They were, in a sense, kingmakers in their own land. They would have traveled with quite an entourage and perhaps a modest cavalry to ensure that they got where they were going. Now this makes sense. Their arrival would have been impressive and dramatic. And it really helps us to understand Herod's reaction. It says that he was troubled. The word actually means terrified. Terrified. We'll pick up the story in verse 4. It says that when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Do you notice something? He's the appointed king. He doesn't know. All Israel's been waiting for this. 400 years have gone by. He doesn't have a clue. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and they're quoting this little book in the Old Testament, Micah, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, the, the story here sets up this, this contrast for us. Here are these wise men who lived so far away and have drawn near to worship Jesus. And you have Herod, who is right there, and yet in his heart is so far away. Now, Herod had enough composure, and he had enough practice at having composure, uh, shielding his real intent toward the Christ child. He feigns his interest, saying, yeah, be sure and, and let me know exactly where he is so that I might, yes, that's right, come and worship him. <laughs> yeah, right. I have only one word, and I, uh, one, one word to describe this, and I borrowed it from the movie The Princess Bride. Liar! Continue in verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now, for, the, for these wise men, whatever planetary explanation they might have witnessed in their, in their vast ex experience of stargazing, nothing would explain what was happening in that moment. Some astronomers have said, oh, you know, Jupiter and Saturn lined up. But they don't move like that. Came and just stood over the place where, uh, where Jesus was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down, they worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Can you imagine what this would have been like? 
I don't imagine that Bethlehem was a big place. Their arrival, their even approach to the little town of Bethlehem would have been big news in the town. Here comes this, you know, these, these wealthy men from the east with quite an entourage, perhaps still being escorted by this military presence. There must have been even a crescendo and sort of the noise, the, the chatter, the what's going on? What does this mean? And here they are approaching this ordinary home, this simple couple who little does everyone know they're raising the Son of God. And they come in and they, they bow down and they worship. And I, I wonder, being a parent myself, thinking about the experience of, of Mary and Joseph, what it would have spoken to them as they, as they continued. I know the words of Mary, as she pondered these things in her heart, what was that experience like a year or so later after the birth of this child? They here approach this group of men who have journeyed so far to meet your child. And they come bringing these great gifts what a remarkable experience. And I turn the scene around a little bit, too, because here are these men who've traveled. Think of how far they have traveled. And when they, they see the position of the star, and this is where this king is, I don't know what they were expecting. But you know what's beautiful about it is that they didn't miss it. For the humble circumstances that Jesus was born into it, born into, they didn't miss it because they were not seeing with their physical eyes that they were seeing with the eyes of their heart. Star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright. Westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. I'm inspired by, by the story I think the, the Magi have set out on this amazing journey. And I think for us, as we look at our own lives, as we look at the year that is in front of us, and, and certainly this is one of those weekends where, yes, we look back and we, we celebrate the gifts that this year has been for us. We did that in a particular way yesterday, physical, tangible gifts. But we also celebrate the gifts that this year has been but we also look forward to the journey of a new year. And I think there are some things from the story that we can, uh, that we can pick up on um, as we, we reflect on the journey of a new year. Let me share three things around the journey of a new year. First of all, the journey begins with our yes. That's how it began for the wise men. They said yes to heading toward uh, this star. And the power of one act sets in motion for us as well a journey. And an experience can be life-changing. Our willingness to journey creates opportunities. It creates new possibilities. Now, sometimes we move into the future by intentions. We might call them New Year's resolutions. 
I was looking at what are the top five New Year's resolutions, and they, they all are around getting healthy, being healthier. And uh, I know we set, out with, we set out the year with good intentions, don't we? And we need to keep up those good intentions. Even when we, we stumble and, 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 we, and we mess up, we need to pick ourselves up and, and keep moving. But we, we move into the future sometimes with intention. But there are other times where it's actually an invitation that we receive. So it's not because we had the big idea or that we kind of said, hey, this is where I want to head with my life. And, and, and so we do. Sometimes it comes by way of invitation. We are days away from the end of the year. And some of you might recall that a year ago, Pastor Terry invited us to read through the Bible this year. And a number of us uh, took him up on that invitation. Tough going at times. There are some books. <laughs> there are some books that were hard right out of the gate. I mean, Leviticus. I mean, that's scintillating stuff. <laughs> but to end the year, you get 11 months in. Where do you land in, in December? You got Job. There's a real pick-me-up. Then you got the book of Revelation, which, fantastic. But, and then you got a bunch of little prophets, and, and everything is falling apart. So thank God for the Gospel of John. We had, we had one thing here. But certainly there are invitations. And, and I know as we begin the new year, there's going to be some, some wonderful invitations um, that we have. You know, the opportunity to join a small group. Um, Perhaps you might want to serve in a particular ministry, like the ushering ministry. It's a wonderful group of people. <laughs> it really is, actually. And uh, I was thinking about, as, I, as we close out the year, there are about 20 people who've joined the ushering team. And I just point that out as an example of people who said, yes, yes, I want to be a part of that. I can do that. I would love to make people feel welcome. I'd love to be able to direct people who are, who are new to, to be at home. In, in the house of the Lord. Now, the new year is waiting for us to write our story. And I'd really like to invite us to, uh, to ask God to come alongside us and to help us write that story. What is the story going to be of this new year? Now, it, it takes courage. It takes courage to move. It takes courage to change. We get comfortable where we are. I knew what it was like when... I mean, I was really excited. I was really excited about moving back here from Toronto. Toronto's nice, but um, it, was, it was wonderful to journey home. But part of the, part of the experience of this year for me is, OK, what, it, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for my family? What does it, what does it mean for uh, all the adjustments that you make by doing something new, something different, setting about on a journey in a, in a different direction? And I love the, the lines in the song um, by the group Switchfoot. And the song is entitled, On Fire. It says, I'm standing on the edge of me. I'm standing on the edge of me. I'm standing on the edge of everything I've never been before. How beautiful that is. That's where we are. At this point in time, at the end of this year, we are standing on the edge of who we are. What's that next step? What's that next step? Where are we called to move? 
Are we going to say yes? Number two, the journey has times and seasons. The journey has times and seasons. Now, it's natural for us to make certain commitments at specific times in our lives, whether it's work or it's school or it's key relationships. Uh, there, there are times for us to uh, emphasize those things. There are times for us, I know those of you who are in school, I remember what that was like. I was in school what seemed like for a long, long time. Uh, there's, a, there's a time there's a time to learn. There's a time to study. There's a time to prepare yourself for those things. And there are those times in our lives where uh, it's, it's a focused commitment. And we notice that you know, across our lives, it, it varies. Our time, our resources, and our energy. As I get a little bit older, I realize that I don't have the energy of my 6-year-old and 10-year-old. They're still going, and, and I'm, I'm petering out. But you know what, as I look at, at the journey uh, as it relates to, to times and of seasons, um, I recognize that there are, there are specific times where we need to, to focus. And I, I know personally, uh, particularly if I could look at, through the lens of a parent with my children, that there are, there are times, and, and I'm feeling nudged in some specific areas, that God's saying, this is this season, and I don't want you to miss it with your kids, and I want you to pour your life into them in this particular way. It's an important time. And I think whether or not you're a parent or not, you recognize that there are certain times where we need to emphasize specific things. We may want to rush ahead or be somewhere else, but we need to focus on, you know, what are the skills I need to learn now? What are the character things that are being worked into my life? What are the lessons for this season of my life? There's a wonderful quote in your handout uh, entitled, Trust in the, in the Slow Work of God. Trust in the Slow Work of God by Teilhard de Chardin. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming in you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of the doubt, believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Now, thirdly, the journey is about letting go and, and reaching toward. That certainly was evident in, in the story and the experience of the wise men. For them to go on this journey, to journey in the direction of this magnificent star, meant that they had to leave other things behind. Likewise with ourselves, um, our ability to travel with greater ease is impacted by what we are willing to leave behind. And sometimes there are things that we, we get attached to. Or perhaps it looks like busyness that we have. Or we feel uh, encumbered in, in, in some way. That it is difficult for us to say yes from where we're standing. And so it's almost like we need to take certain steps to free ourselves up from maybe other commitments. 
to let go of, of certain things in our lives so that we are able to say wholeheartedly and move forward in that, in that yes. But I want, to, I want to encourage you. You know, will we experience setbacks along the way? Absolutely. But let me say this. Our stumbling efforts become small successes, and our small successes become life-changing. However imperfect or unfinished we are, we can move forward into this new year with hope because our hope is grounded in Jesus. Our hope is grounded in Jesus. Now we're going to close uh, with a song. The band is, is coming, and we're going to have our time of giving as, as a community. And it's interesting. The song is, is, is in your handout. It's, it's perhaps oddly named for this day, the night before Christmas. I just want to confess that. I know that. You know that. Now we can all relax. But it is a, it is a song about contrast. And when I heard it, it, uh, it struck me that everything changed on Christmas Day. Everything changed on Christmas Day. All of us know what it's like to live in the night before Christmas. There may be an area or areas of your life where you feel like you're living in the night before Christmas. And what you need is for Jesus to come and enter into that, that area of your life. Everything changed because he came. And coincidentally, today is the day after Christmas. And we're invited to live in the day after Christmas, so to speak. And um, Jesus is so wonderful that uh, he's born into that night and he shines his light and he illuminates the path for us into the new year. Let me pray for us. Father, we... We thank you uh, at the close of this year, 2010. We thank you for the coming of Jesus. And we're grateful that because of his, his coming, we can have a new beginning in our lives. That new things are possible in our lives because of his coming. That we have moved from that time of silence and sadness into a time where we can draw near to you. I pray for, for each one of us here as we, as we look ahead with hope to this new year, to new things in our lives, that you would uh, strengthen us, that we would be so deeply reminded that you have come and all things can be made new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.